Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Great to see all of you here worshiping with us today. I'd like to welcome all of you here at our Bonnie Oaks campus. I'd like to also welcome all of you at our Creekside service, our North Udawa campus, and St. Elmo, and all of you worshiping online. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm Tony Walliser, one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege today to share with you God's Word. So this is what I encourage you to do. Go ahead and take your Bibles and open up to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, that's toward the end of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 3, if you've got a smartphone, you can open that app to 1 John 3 as well. And then do this as well. Hopefully when you came in, you got one of these Bible study outlines. This, we give these to you so you can follow along and take notes as we study God's Word together. We are in a series called What Child Is This? And we're trying to discover, okay, who is Jesus and why exactly did he come? And the culmination of our Christmas season is actually going to be next weekend, whenever we have Christmas at Silverdale. Where we're going to have, you know, on Christmas Eve, two times that we're going to be in this room and um, online as well. And that's going to be at, um, you know, at 2 o'clock and at 4 o'clock. And then we're going to have identical service on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. So choose one of those services and it's going to be incredible. I always love it. It's our um, Christmas carol, candlelight, communion. It's just a beautiful time together. And I encourage you to be back this um, next weekend. But today, we're sort of finishing up this series that we're in, What Child Is This? Because what we've done is we've tried to look at the Christmas story outside of the Gospels. You see, in the Gospels, you have the details of what actually happened, right? Okay, Jesus was born, laid in a manger, Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, that story. That's important. But outside the Gospels, you actually discover why did it happen, Why exactly did Jesus Christ come? And so the passage that we're going to see the Christmas story in today is actually found in the book of 1 John chapter 3. And what we're going to learn from this passage is that the reason why Jesus Christ came was to destroy. Yeah, I know that doesn't sound like a Christmas story, but that's what the Bible says. Let me see if I can put it like this. Um, It was May 2nd, 2011, whenever an elite team of Navy SEALs left a um, base in Afghanistan, flew in the cover of darkness, and landed in Pakistan, and they landed in this compound. And while they're in this compound, they breach the walls, they use explosives to breach the doors. They then go to the first floor and secure it. They had some, you know, combat, you know, fire at them. They secured the second floor. Then they go up to the third floor, and that's whenever they encounter this terrorist, Osama bin Laden. He was then taken. He was killed. 
The, the whole event took place in about 38 minutes, and then they left in a helicopter. Later that night, President um, Obama got on the television, and he made this announcement. He said, good evening tonight. I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, the leader of al-Qaeda, and a terrorist who was responsible for the murder of thousands of innocent men, women, and children. Now, have you ever thought of Christmas being an event like that? That you know that, that God was actually invading this planet? That Jesus was landing on enemy territory in order to take out the, the greatest enemy known to man, the evil one, Satan himself? Well, that's exactly what the Bible says that we're going to study today. You see, Jesus Christ came to restore all things. He wants to bring back humanity back to paradise. But what he had to do is he had to destroy some things first. Like what? Well, just like a doctor, you know, may have to amputate a foot that's gangrene, or, you know, he may have to do surgery and cut out part of a lung in order to remove cancer. Well, for Christ to restore all things, he had to first destroy something. And what was that? It was sin and Satan. And that's what we read about in 1 John chapter 3. This is part of the reason why Christ came. Let's look at our passage, and as we read the text today, I want you to see if you can pick out why Christ came in this passage. Look at it with me. 1 John chapter 3, beginning verse 5. You know that he appeared, okay, he was born, in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has, has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Did you see it? Twice in that passage, we are told the reason why Jesus Christ came. Now, we know that there's a number of reasons why Christ came, why he was born. We know that Jesus came to fulfill prophecy about the Messiah. We know that Jesus Christ came to reveal God. If you want to know what God is like, just read the Gospels. That's what God is like, okay? I mean, Jesus came to glorify the Father. Jesus came to show us the way. I mean, so that we really know, okay, here's the example of how we follow. This is how we can live our lives. Jesus has shown us all that. But here in, the, in um, 1 John, the Apostle John is saying to us, a major reason why Christ came was to destroy sin and Satan. In fact, jot that on your outline. Christ came to destroy sin. We see it twice in the passage we just read. Look at it again, verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. We see a similar idea in verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's the heart of why Christ came. Christ came on a kill and destroy mission to kill and destroy sin and the evil one. That is why Christ came. Now, we don't often think of it that way, but that is why Christ came. And so if Jesus is going to destroy sin, then he has to destroy the one who has wreaked the most havoc, who's caused so much temptation in our world. Who is that? That's Satan himself. Satan's the one who tempts us to sin and then accuses us when we do sin. But it's not just the devil. I mean, a lot of people can say, well, the devil made me do it. Well, there's another reason why we sin. 
And the reason why we sin is because we got sin in our heart. The Bible calls that, we, we've got a sin nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve. I mean, every one of you were born with a clenched fist and a rebel's heart. Every one of us, we have this propensity to sin. Every one of us here, we have a sinful heart. And in fact, you may go, well, how do you see that? We can see it all the way across humanity, and you can see the evil that exists in our culture. You know the evil that exists in your own heart. It, it exists even in children. See, people go, well, no, we're sort of, we're born, you know, innocent. You know, children are innocent. Have you ever been around children? I mean, I raised four, I know, right? I mean, you, you just keep the nursery one day, and what are you going to do? You spend most of your time in the nursery, you know, being a referee over toys, right? I mean, I came across recently these, um, the toddler's rules of ownership. Here they are. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If it's in your hand and I want it, it's mine. If I believe I can get it from you, it's mine. If it's ever been in my possession in the history of mankind, it's mine. <laughs> if I think it's mine, it's mine. You see, that's us. Now, we've grown up. We're, we're not quite as childish, and we're a little bit more sophisticated. But the bottom line is, we still all want what we want when we want it. We have this thing in our heart called sin. And our heart and our lives and our culture is inundated with sin. Folks, the only way you can really explain the evil and the brokenness of our culture is to know, man, we got a sin problem. Can I tell you, even a lost world recognizes that? I came across an interesting quote of this guy right here, Michael Rouse. He's an evolutionary um, atheist philosopher. And what's interesting is that he believes what the Bible teaches on sin. Check out this quote. He says, I think Christianity is spot on about original sin. How could one think otherwise? When the world's most civilized and advanced people, the people of Beethoven and Gautier and Kant, embrace that slime ball, Hitler, and participated in the Holocaust. I think St. Paul and the great Christian philosophers had real insights into sin, freedom, and responsibility. I want to build on this rather than turn from it. You see, even a lost world goes, man, this world's broken. There's something wrong with our world. The Bible calls it sin. And Jesus said, if I'm going to make everything right, I've got to deal with this major problem of humanity. And what is that? That's the sin problem. And so how did Jesus do that? Well, he was born. God takes on human flesh. That's what Christmas is about. And then Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. He completely fulfilled all of the Old Testament. And then what did he do? On the cross, he dies on the cross in our place and for our sins. What does that mean? That means all the wrath of God that is deserved on your sin and humanity's sin fell on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took the full wrath of God in our place and for our sin. That's why he cried from the cross, it is finished, paid in full. And to prove it, God raises him up from the dead. But then what does he do? He then takes away the primary weapon of Satan in your life. What is that? Condemnation and accusation. Now, I love the way the Apostle Paul writes this in Colossians. Check it out. Colossians 2.13. He says, when you, and me, were dead in your sins and your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Thank you, Lord, right? So how did that happen? Verse 14, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it on the cross. Jesus took all the wrath of God and all the condemnation for us. 
But he also did something to Satan. Verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's demons, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so Jesus Christ came with one purpose, to destroy sin and Satan. That's why he came. He wanted to get rid of that in our lives, in our churches, in our society, in the world. That's why Christ came. Now, if that's why Christ came, then you know, you and I, we have a decision that we've got to make. You've got to determine whose side you're going to be on. In fact, jot that on your outline. You must determine whose side you're going to be on. You see, in every battle, there's always sides. There's a good guy, there's a bad guy. Now, probably none of us here would say, well, I'm going on the side of the devil. We would probably never do that. Just like Judas Iscariot, who betrays Jesus with a kiss, would never say, I'm being used as a tool of the devil. You know, he wouldn't say that, and yet he was. The fact is that you and I, we've got to determine what side you're on. Either you're going to be on team Jesus or you're on team devil, right? I mean, you got, that's the only two choices. There's no middle ground. You can't just, you know, I'm going to stand out on this one. No, if you don't choose, you've chosen the evil one. And so what happens here in 1 John, the apostle John tells us, you can know whose side you're on just by looking at your life. So check it out. Look at what he writes here in verse 5. He says, you know that he, Christ, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now, that's pretty straightforward, right? He goes, you know what? You can tell based on what you're practicing. Now, what I want you to see here is that he's not saying that we as Christians will be sinless. That's not what's being taught here. In fact, at the very beginning in 1 John chapter 1, he says this, if you claim that you have no sin, you're a liar, okay? So I mean, he's not saying that we can be sinless as Christians. That's not what's being taught here. But what he's asking us to do is evaluate the practice of our lives. Are you living a life that is a habit of righteousness or are you living a life that is the habit of unrighteousness? Let me extru- you know, explain it like this. I have here these steps over here. And let's say that these steps over here, what they do, they represent me going down into sin, okay? And so here I am, I'm making choices, I'm being tempted, I'm making these decisions, and I'm suddenly giving myself over to certain sins in my life, okay? If I'm doing that, I am turning my back on Jesus and I'm deciding I'm gonna go after the things of this world, right? But then what happens? Now, if I stay down here, and I like it, and I'm like, this is the lifestyle I want, and I want to choose this lifestyle, and this is me, and you can't tell me what to do, and I am what I am, right? If that's just what I decide to do, then what happens? The Bible says, then okay, you're on team Satan, right? But if you feel convicted of your sin, and you repent, and you turn your back on that, and you return to Jesus Christ, then the Bible says you're on team Jesus. And so jot this on your outline. Let's just lay it out here. A righteous lifestyle equals that God is your daddy, right? You have a righteous lifestyle, that means God's your daddy. Look at it, verse 7. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he's righteous, right? I mean, think about it. God's holy. We want to be holy. God is faithful. We want to be faithful. God is forgiving. I want to be forgiving. God is loving. I want to be loving. God is righteous. I want to be righteous. Because why? If we are children of God, we should start looking like our heavenly father, right? 
children take the characteristics of their parents. I mean, we know that's true in the natural realm. I mean, I think of my kids, okay? Um, I never sat them down one day and said, hey, kids, this is what I want you to love, and this is what I want you to hate. I never said that. But they hung out with me, and now suddenly they like the things that I like, okay? I grew up in Florida, and so I am a Florida Gator fan, okay? I know it's sad, but it's true, okay? We've had a terrible year, but hey, I'm a loyal Florida Gator fan. Now, here's the deal. My kids were not raised in Florida, and yet all four of my kids are Florida Gator fans as well. Praise Jesus. Anyway, and so... (laughs) But the thing is, is that, you know, why did that happen? Because they took on the likes of their father. Make sense? They also have certain characteristics of me. They look like me. They walk like me. They talk like me. They have certain mannerisms that I have. Why? Because they are like their father. Well, it's the same way. If we are really children of God, then we should be taking on some of the mannerisms, the characteristics of God. And if you can't see that, then you better question yourself. Am I really a child of God or not? Because the second thing may be true. Jot this down. A sinful lifestyle means that Satan is your daddy. Now, that may sound extreme, but that's what Jesus taught. That's what the apostle John taught. If you have a sinful lifestyle, that means the devil's your daddy. Look at how this is written in verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Satan, the devil, is that rebel of heaven. We talked about him last week. And if you have a rebel heart as well, and you rebel against God, and you have a lifestyle of sin, then guess what? That's who you belong to. Back in May of 1966, Anton LaVey founded what's known today as the Church of Satan. In 1971, he published the Satanic Bible. And you can join the satanic church, just send them, you know, $225, and he'll send you this little red embossed card that says you are an official member of the church of Satan. But you don't need that red embossed card that tells you that. All you got to do is look at the lifestyle. Because some people in this world, all you got to do, they would never say that I'm on team Satan, but you look at their lifestyle, and that's exactly what the Bible says. You belong to the evil one. Now, you may be here today, and it's like, well, I don't want to belong to the evil one, and and I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and I want to have the characteristics of Jesus Christ, but pastor, I still struggle with sin, and I do too from time to time. And so what's the answer? If Christ came to destroy sin, then we as Christians ought to have victory over it, right? Well, how? Well, let me tell you how. Jot this on your outline. How to experience victory. How can you and I experience victory? Now, again, whenever I'm talking about victory, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm not saying you'll always be perfect and never sin again. I heard about this holiness preacher who obviously often preached about holiness, you know, God's holy year to be holy. And one day, one of his students, the youth um, in his church, came to him and says, Pastor, are you perfect? And the pastor said, no, of course I'm not perfect. I still sin. But listen to what he said. But I've come to the place where when I do sin, I don't enjoy it. (laughs) Make sense? You see, what God does when he comes into your life, he changes your wanter. Now, that's not a real word, but I made it up. He changes your wanter. You see, I sin all I want to. I just don't want to anymore. Why? Because God has changed what I really want and desire. 
before I became a follower of Jesus Christ, I wanted to do everything the world did. I want to, you know, sleep around and get high and, and carouse around, right? I want to do everything else the world did. But then I become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to do that. I, I want to follow after Jesus Christ. He's changed my wants. You go, how does he do that? Well, verse 9 of this passage is critical. Look at it with me. See, God does this on the inside of us. Check it out, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning. Why? Because he's been born of God. Do you see those two words there? Seed and born. You get the idea of conception there? You know how conception works. You have the seed of the male. You have the egg of the female. They come together. Conception takes place. The baby begins to develop in the womb. And then birth happens, right? And when I thought about that, I thought, this is a great opportunity for me to show you a picture. Check out this picture. This is a picture of my grandchildren. And um, those three girls there, they were conceived this year. And one was born in August, then another in September, then October. And our house has been full of girls and fun and all that kind of stuff, okay? Been a fun time. But see, the fact is, is that's how it works. There's conception, there's growth, and then there's birth. That doesn't just happen physically, that happens spiritually in our life as well. And so whenever the word of God, God's seed, is planted into your heart by the spirit of God, and you believe it by faith, conception happens. And when that takes place, what is produced? You're born again. And so if you want victory in your life, the first thing you must do is this. You must be born again. Jot that down. You must be born again. All of you here, you've been born physically. If you want victory over sin, you must be born spiritually. You must be born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, a very religious guy, he says, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. You must be born again. Well, that's what he says here. Look at it in verse 9. He says he cannot keep on sinning. Why? Because he's been born of God. Now, let me share with you my story. Most of you have heard this story before. But it sort of illustrates this aspect of what does it mean to be born again? I was raised in church. My dad was a deacon, so I came to church almost every weekend. And I knew a lot of facts about Christianity, knew the Bible stories and things like that. And so when I was nine years old, you know, a lot of my friends were get, coming forward and getting baptized and, you know, and those kind of things. I'm like, well, I, I'm nine now, and so that's a decision I need to make. And I remember coming forward in a service and praying with a pastor and a few weeks later getting baptized. But here's the deal. Nothing really changed. And the reason why, because all I had was a bunch of had knowledge of religion, and I just went through religious motions. All I did was really get wet. There was really no surrender. There's no repentance. There was no real life change. It was just It was just religion that I just did. I just did a religious act. And so because here I was, a baptized church member, but I didn't have the Spirit of God who had changed me from the inside. And and so by the time I hit my teenage years, I did everything the world did. And so my friends crowds around and got drunk, and so did I, and slept around, and so did I. And, you know, I was still in church every weekend. Felt a little guilty at first, but over time I didn't feel bad at all. And then, you know, um, you know, by the time I graduated from high school, you've heard this before, I was a teenage alcoholic. I had a full college scholarship. I lost it all because my life was so out of control. And I'd completely gone, quit going to church. Why? Because it was just hypocrites, you know, a bunch of hypocrites to me. And so there I was. And so 19 years old, my dad saw my life was sort of out of control, and he says, hey, this is what we're going to do. Every morning before we go to work on the farm, during breakfast, we're going to read the Bible together. 
And so we just started reading the Bible during breakfast time, and God starts working in my heart. Also during this time, um, our church got a new pastor. I quit going, but they got a new pastor, and um, he preached the word. And my sister invited me back to church, and I start coming to church, and man, the Holy Spirit of God is convicting me and showing me that, that I need to change. And I can still remember, um, my girlfriend and I, we had gone to Disney, um, you know, on Saturday, and I was mad at her, and, you know, and that kind of thing, and then went to church Sunday, and went, and I said, I really feel like we need to go to church Sunday night, she goes, I don't want to go to church Sunday night, and so I'm like, well, I'm going to go. And so there I was, sitting on the very back pew, and the, the pastor preached the message, Jesus' words, if anyone's going to come after me, let him deny himself, take his cross daily, and follow me. And I said, Lord, I don't really know anybody that's following you all in like that. But I knew in my heart of hearts, that's exactly what he wanted from me. And I said, okay, Jesus, I surrender all. And something happened. I believe I was born again. You see, the young man that left that building that day was different than the man that came in. You see, I, I didn't want to get high like I used to. I didn't want to sleep around like I used to. I actually had a hunger to, to read God's word and to pray. And I wanted to tell my friends about Jesus Christ. Now, why? Because I had not just religion anymore. I had a heart relationship with Jesus Christ. I had been born again. Now, the reason why I tell that whole length of my story is because I believe that that may be some of your stories. I mean, John says here, let no one deceive you. Don't be deceived about this, okay? I mean, do you just have head knowledge, or has there really been a time where you've truly been born again? If you've been born again, then guess what? God's your daddy. But if you haven't, the evil one's still your daddy. And so that's the first place. If you want victory over sin, it starts with you being born again. But it, it, that's not the end all as well. Because you know what? I still struggle with sin from time to time. I still fall and falter. And so how do you maintain that walk? Well, not only do you need to be born again, but secondly, do this. Jot this down. You need to learn to abide in Christ. You need to abide in Jesus Christ. That word is used twice in this passage we just studied. Look at verse 6. It says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. See that word abide? Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's seed abides in him. There it is. We must learn to abide in Jesus Christ and Christ's word abide in us. You go, how does that happen? Well, the word abide just simply means to remain, to dwell, to press in, to rest in, to walk with. That's how you need to be with Jesus Christ. You need to walk and live with Jesus Christ. You know, you need to quit looking to the world to satisfy all your desires and turn to Jesus Christ. A lot of us go looking for love in all the wrong places whenever it's all found in Jesus Christ. So how do you do that? Well, let me again explain for me. Um, I always encourage you as a church family to take a time, sometime during a day, to get in the Word of God. For me, every morning when I have breakfast, I open up the Bible and I'll do a soap. I'll just do a 15-minute Bible study on, on some passage. And I'll pray and I ask the Lord to speak to me. And I do that every day. Why? Because I need that constant. I'm a preacher. I, I know the word, right? But no, I need that constant abiding in Jesus Christ. This past year, our adult ministry pastor, David Thompson, he sent out Bible verses for us to memorize, two a week. So this past year, I memorized 100 Bible verses. Why would I do that? Because I want the word of God to abide in me. I need to abide in Christ. 
But you know what? I need Christ to abide in me as well. And so I've told you this before, that I have several alarms on my phone, and they go off several times a day. And whatever I'm doing, I, I quickly pause, stop what I'm doing, and I'll just pray. And I'll just say, Lord, and I'll confess whatever sins have come in my heart or mind, and I'll surrender my life to Christ anew and afresh, and I'll say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your life. I need you. I can't do this without you. Now, this seems really simple, doesn't it? This is so basic Christianity, but can I tell you something? Whenever you abide in the word and the word of God abides in you and God fills you with his Holy Spirit and his presence, guess what? You don't sin like you used to sin. You suddenly are walking with Jesus Christ. Christ came for Christmas, why? To destroy something, to destroy Satan and destroy sin. But sin still exists. So what does that mean? That means you got to join the battle. The victory's been won in Jesus Christ. But now you got to join the battle. That's what you got to do. It's like this. Um... June 6, 1944, is known as D-Day. That's the day when the Allied forces, you know, stormed the beaches of Normandy, and they actually got a beachhead there in Normandy, France, right? In fact, everybody will say, historians will say, that's when the war was really won. But we know that's when the battle didn't end there, did it? It was actually 11 months later, it was May 8, 1945, that's called VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. See, the beachhead had been won, but then they still needed to fight the battle until the final battle was won. Well, Jesus Christ, he came, he was born. He came to destroy sin and Satan. On Good Friday, when he was crucified, it was a full-on battle with the evil one. On Easter Sunday, he resurrected from the dead, and he was victorious over everyone. He ascended on high. And folks, good news, one day he's coming again to rule and reign forever and ever, and all of sin and Satan is going to completely be done away with, right? But we are still in the battle. The beachhead's been won for us, but we're still living in enemy territory. You've got to join the battle. And at whatever point you do not get in the battle, you start losing, and so you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need, to, you need to determine, I'm in a battle, and I'm on team Jesus, and it's time for me to fight. How? First, by being born again, and then secondly, by abiding with Christ every day. And if you do, Christ's victory becomes your victory. That is why Jesus Christ came. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you that you really did come to rescue us, forgive us, and destroy sin in our lives. God, please do your work of destroying sin in our lives today. God, would you please move, change our lives as we respond to your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. 
We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.